Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome to Tia Time with Artist, and today my guest is my cousin, Michael Hanna, who is an amazing singer and uh, interpreter of jazz standards and other tunes. He is here today, coming all the way from Ottawa, Canada. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Thank you, Tia. Hi. How are you? Thanks for coming. So I wanted to just talk to you about all the different influences that you've had and the different things that have made you a the singer that you are today for instance we are in we're going to get the elephant in the room out of the room okay you are the son of sir roland hannah my uncle your father and he was a world famous jazz pianist and why not piano why singing (laughs) intimidation (laughs) (laughs) In, in, in a word intimidation Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, to like you said, to move the elephant out the room, his life was devoted to 88 keys and what is that, 187, 190 strings of chords mm-hmm. that stretched throughout the piano. And the, the devotion took him to places that I just didn't feel I could go. So I felt it necessary to forge my own direction mm-hmm. tried about five or six different instruments including the piano and his mastery and tenacity with the with practice and perfection like i said were very intimidating so i wanted a relationship with my dad and <laughs> 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 And so it was necessary for me to find something else, which he respected. He definitely respected my love for other things. And and that was cool about it. That was the cool thing about it. He also played cello. Now you weren't interested in the strings at all. I was. As a matter of fact, cello is probably the instrument I stayed with the longest and have stayed with. He bequeathed a cello to my daughter, uh, Natalie, who also played the cello. Mm. And I continue to retain that cello until such time as I get get the opportunity to ship it to or Natalie comes back to get it. But it's a very fine instrument. It is. I have pictures of Natalie and Roland practicing together. Nice. Uh, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very fine instrument. I love it. It, I probably played the cello with intention for maybe five or six years. So every now and then I still pull it out, tune it up, practice it, then put
por el güey. <laughs> yes, I, I understand that. I do understand that. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got several instruments that I do that with as well. I have a bass that I do that with, and it's okay. I put my sunglasses on and pretend that I'm rocking out, and I put on some old funk record. Yeah, yeah, you know, and rock my head, and then I go, okay, that's enough of that. Put that away. (laughs) (laughs) Singing is, you know, it's it's the beauty of singing is that it's an instrument that you carry with you, you know, even in the shower. I was able to just do that, and with much wanton abandon, and it became something that I just became a part of me. So, you know. Well, you definitely got the ears from listening to all that stuff that was in the house uh, oh. growing up. And the musicians that came through there. Now, did you have a lot of folks coming through the house to practice and rehearse? Well, not through our house, but I spent a fair amount of time with him. When he was on the road, he made it a point of taking both my brother and I with us on various different occasions. The small, interesting little story is that probably around age 15, maybe, we came, he and I came to Ottawa. Mm. And I believe he performed at Carleton University. I have pictures standing in front of the parliament. Very young. I had absolutely no imagination that I would spend, (laughs) you know, my my years here <laughs> in this wonderful city. But uh, yeah, we had an opportunity to do that. So to answer specifically the question, Teaneck was an amazing town. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of people who are starting to do documentaries on the number of musicians that lived in Teaneck, New, Teaneck, Jersey. New Jersey. And uh, the reason it was so wonderful, it was 10 minutes away from New York City so musicians could work and then live outside of the city. Mm. And it was a Jewish enclave, and consequently, the, our Jewish brethren were a little bit more welcoming to Black people than, than the surrounding communities. So Teaneck became a place where musicians of color wound up. If they were doing well in, in their craft, they could wind up raising families there. I lived near Ray Barreto and the Isley Brothers. The Adderleys were there. Thad Jones lived there. It's just crazy. Eddie Locke from Drummer. Just, it was an amazing town. It sounds like an amazing time, too, just to be with all those guys in the same place. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. And to, to be able to just roll up on them on a regular basis, I... Nat Adderley Jr. and I went to school together. Mm. Uh, I'm familiar with them. And yeah, I used to call, I was able to call Sarah Vaughn my aunt. Wow. (laughs) It was an amazing time and something I don't completely appreciate because I was a kid then, but yeah. You didn't know to spend more time with them if you could. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Singing was something you could carry with you and you could do that easily. Did you study it specifically? Did you have a teacher or did you just sing on your own? No, I, for the most part, sang on my own. Um, 
I think one of the one of the beauties also was that my father had a particular passion for types of music. There's some things he did not like. And the Beatles. One. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he didn't really much care for any pop, if you will, mm-hmm. um, in the early days. He he would, it would create a, and you can probably reflect on the image of your father and, and his disgust when he came up on something. That same Hannah image translated across all of the Hannah men's faces when they were, when they were disgusted with something. Yep. (laughs) You know, but then I could take my singing or my little radio or whatever, and I could go someplace else and it wouldn't bother him. I wouldn't have to worry about disturbing him. So (laughs) I got exposed to a whole lot of different things, including the palette of music that uh, that he he exposed me to. Yeah. I once had a conversation with him about, he was still disgusted with, this is probably in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. And he was talking about how he just hated the Beatles because they took all his jobs away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It became the popular thing. But eventually he got his groove. He found a groove himself, specifically in the 80s. I think his his heydays were in the 80s. Um, and I remember a time, briefly, when I went to college, and I discovered a group called Take Six mm-hmm. and fell in love with them. They were everything I wanted singing to be. Um, male group, acapella, harmonies, dissonance, the whole thing. And singing for the Lord. Mm. And I discovered them and had a conversation with him one day about them. And he had heard them too and also gave them mad respect. Mm-hmm. So I, I found this convergence that was starting to happen with him and I, musically at least. He's long down the road, but I'm at least touching uh, his aura every now and then <laughs> with some affirmation. So it, uh, it was good. It was good. Well, you became an engineer. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing music, was he like nonplussed by that? Or what was... No. What did you think about that whole thing? No, he, he was he was he was uh he was pleasantly engaged in it. It 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 was exciting to him that I chose to take that. One, I had a love for cars early in life. Mm-hmm. We could do stuff as a family, and I'd be doing little dumb things like calling cars. And I'd do that for years. He knew I loved cars. And respected the fact that as time went on and I became good at certain things, especially related to engineering, then, yeah, he he accepted the fact that was something I was going to go ahead and do. Okay. I pursued something that I enjoyed, and I think that's what he respected and and enjoyed seeing come out of me. So, yeah, he didn't have a problem with me not pursuing music. And later on, when we did the album together, he gave... He gave me props for being a fine singer. I felt affirmed. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what came about that you did do the album together? Because for so many years, he was doing his own thing and you were doing engineering and you were doing 
music on the side, pretty much as a like a side gig. Yeah. yeah. My mother, Ramona, my mother was always involved on the sidelines with me singing and was always involved with me pursuing other things too. Cause I think she had a perspective on being a musician's wife that she may not have wanted to, she may not have wanted me to carry on. So I, I would say she encouraged me to do some of the other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then at some point in time, we, we realized, hey, we need to do something together because he, he, she writes, he plays, and I sing. So became a, and then they also came up with the idea of creating a label. Mm-hmm. Roland and Ramona created a label called RMI and a publishing company called Rahana Music and published all of his music and then also started recording young up and coming musicians. Mm-hmm. And I was an album in that series. He did about four or five albums with several of the sons of, of the Amori family. Okay. Wonderful bassist, saxophonist, cellist, and the father, uh, Maury, was a, was a bassist as well. And then uh, my album, and so we did about five five albums on the on the RMI label, and that's how we got to record together. Life's amazing plan to add a bit of knowledge to the stream of life. The theme of life is love thy neighbor as thy brother. Love our father, honor mother. If we could but live this way, the world would be as one. see a bird take wing or listen to a wobbler sing and when the sky is painted with the colors from a giant skin the sounds of surf on the beaches wide the glitter of the stars at night i pray if we will someday live in peace and harmony Now, are those recordings still available? They are. My album is available. I'm not sure. I don't think it's on iTunes. But I have been giving some thought to re-releasing it in the digital format so that it's available. And then the other four albums, this was back in the time when the CD was actually king. We hadn't moved into a place where digital media was was the order of the day. So much of that can be re-released, but it's not it's not in digital format, right? I also know there's uh, a lot of music that Roland didn't actually get the chance to produce because it was he did a lot of writing for string ensembles and orchestral-based type music that he did. Yes. Now is that on file someplace? 
I I am the uh, curator. Is the best best way to say that? Mm -hmm. I'm the curator for his uh, book of music, and so the publishing company is now under the management of uh, Deacon Blue LLC, which is the company that I I started, and in the process of republishing. And also manage the website for Rahana Music. So he has music that's out there that is in uh, chart form, some of which is in is in transcribed sheets. There's one book that's available called The Collections of Roland Hanna. Uh, and I was encouraged by a young man who, who called me or emailed me not too long ago who would like to get a pack. He would. He wanted to order all 24 of his preludes. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were recorded. One was on CTI back in 77, I think. And then another one was done somewhere around 89 between he and George Mraz. Mm-hmm. But those are the only two recordings. They were never transcribed and, and published in sheet form. So I'm taking on the project of um, releasing a book of his 24 preludes. Fantastic. I want to see that. I, I know I had a, the job of transcribing a lot of the handwritten stuff back before Ramona passed. Right. So I know there's some of those are done. So that's good. Yeah. That that's there. I'm glad to hear that's out there. So the legacy continues. Uh, are you doing a current new CD right now? Because you have the, the album with, with Roland. I have, since I've been here in Ottawa, gotten connected to a couple of very fine musicians. One of which just called me right before I talked to you. <laughs> talked to you. His name is Pete Ferret. And uh, he's a guitarist and a very fine musician. About my age, kind of old school rocker kind of guy. <laughs> and, uh, we We sat down and he had an album that he had done, but he's not really a singer. So he talked to me and had me to sing one or two of his songs. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then he liked the two songs so much. He said, yeah, here's two, three more. <laughs> Eventually that all grew to about 11 songs. And we finally released the album, the CD and digital this past August. It's called Marvelville, and it's a collection of <laughs> what we like to classify as, as adult music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's music that reflects a variety of different themes that you might have gotten 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, some fusion, some funk, a little bit of calypso, just a variety of different kinds of things that he wrote. And some of them are very nice. Some pieces are really cool. Um, yeah, it harkens back. So when I say adult music, it's for people who are probably in their 50s to 65, and it brings back some memories of Chicago and Steely Dan and and those kinds of things. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. And the youngsters can appreciate it too. Yeah. Well, they, they, they will appreciate it because 
there are a lot of young folks who who spend time digging through the older stuff because they weren't exposed to it and it was new. And it was a progenitor for a lot of the sounds that they are producing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Neo soul and some of the hip, some of the hip hop pieces and the constructs are they harken back to Tito Puente and sometimes James Brown or like I said, Steely Dan, Chicago. Sure. You hear that in some of their music now. interpretation of music changed over the years what did you start singing and then what have you moved into uh that's a good question i think my palette of music has always been pretty open and i say that to say i'm pretty much on a continuum i'm not i haven't moved from one thing to another. From what they call the freeform generation. I've said this before in a in a conversation I had with somebody, is that I when I was in college, at the time, freeform radio was the order of the day. So you could find a station on a college campus and they would play everything from Rachmaninoff to Frank Zappa and everything in between. And so consequently, I kind of locked in that. I could appreciate, I found joy in listening to all of that kind of music. I was just listening before I got on the phone with you. I was listening to a piece that somebody sent me, which was a Scottish song called The Fields of Athenray sung by two two young guys it's, it was it's a very melancholy piece but it's beautiful mm-hmm. but it's just just wonderful singing a duet two guys one guitar in a school hall so the sound is very ethereal mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I, my palette of music is is grown now what I sing <laughs> is ba- is based on what I can sing <laughs> yes <laughs> you know, there was a time when I could sing a whole lot more than I can sing now. <laughs> okay. 
Sure. That's that what I can do and what I listen to are two different things. Mm-hmm. But it all influences what you do. Now, do you have a, a daily regimen that you work your voice with or to uh, keep it up to snuff? No, I don't have a daily regimen, but I, I have found that over time, I am aware of the fact that I sing, hum, whistle, improvise just about 20 hours of the day, even to the degree that I, sometimes I think I'm, I'm humming in my sleep. But I've been known to do that myself. <laughs> You know, but yeah, even to the degree also that sometimes I will wake up in the morning and a random tune will fall into my head. Mm -hmm. It has no, it, it may or may not be something that was written, but it's just a random arrangement of, of notes and I'll spend time in it. Mm-hmm. Most of the day, <laughs> to mm-hmm. the point where I'm frustrated. Like, why am I singing this? You know, what is what is this about? You know, what... <laughs> but uh, so so I don't have a I don't have a stark strong regiment, you know, for practicing a violinist or a cellist or. But I find myself in it <clears throat> pretty much constantly. The times that I do sing on a Structured basis, mostly relegated to church. Uh, I'm still doing concerts, some of which are virtual, some of which are single voice in a room kind of thing. So I still get the opportunity to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm not one who have been predisposed to a, a regiment. When you're singing through the day, when those things, those earworms drop in there, are you composing? Probably. Have you written any of those down or voice memoed them or anything? I have voice memoed a very few, but I generally do not. I They are gifts that only I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I remember going to a International Association of Jazz Educators or the IAJE conference. And Horace Silver was there, and he one of the things he said that every day he had a he had a cassette player, and uh, he would get up every morning, and he play something into cassette player, and then he just throw it in the, a box, and then then maybe once a week he'd pull one of those out and develop it into a song. Yeah, not that. And so I said, okay, that makes sense because he's I don't know what to do with this, but it keeps coming. And so he would just do that. And then that's how his, it was like a regimen for him to just get those earworms out. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly that. I started doing that with the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I do a voice memo, hit it one day when it, when it just stuck with me. And I've got a couple of them. I've got probably in total, maybe 2025 on my phone, but I guess I, <clears throat> because I haven't, I haven't considered it a serious development. I probably haven't treated it with that kind of respect that I'm going and develop it. I'm I am technically not a 
trained musician. Mm-hmm. So some of my frustration is that I'll get that and okay, what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. It's you know, like, oh, it's okay. It's just this series of notes and do you how do you craft this into something? Yeah. I, well, I'm going to I'm going to task you to think about that a little harder cuz I think you're get, you've got a whole bunch of gifts you're getting. And just trust yourself. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah, cuz you don't know till you try. Cuz that's I know that's how it comes to me. It comes, it'll be like, do be we do bum be do boo. And then oh, I like that. And then I'll just keep singing it all day long. <laughs> and then eventually I'll put it down because if I can't develop it anymore that day. So right. put it on a memo. And then sometimes I've got stuff from three years ago and like, oh, and then I craft it in one day. Yeah. Because it's been there for three years yeah. in the back of my head. Okay. So you just never know. It's worth trying because the lyric writing is the hardest part for me. Sure, for sure. Because <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a lyricist, but I can do the the melodic stuff. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I find myself the same way. I did. Uh, I went uh, to Japan uh, twice, one with Roland and one in memory of Roland. Mm-hmm. And the second time I went, I performed with a bassist that he tra- he toured with guy by the name of Eiji Nakayama. And on my way there, big plane, 10, 12 hours, there was this song called uh, Morning Sunrise that he and Eiji played. And it stuck with me. So I crafted, for the first, for my very first time, I crafted words to this song and sang it in Japan. Only time I've ever sung sung the song. Then I wrote the lyrics down and did the, uh, what they call the uh, the old school uh, copyright, put Mm -hmm. it in an envelope, addressed it to myself and mailed it to (laughs) myself. So now I I at least have this envelope of one song that I've written. (laughs) Okay. That's how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) You did it once, you can do it again. Now it's like rinse and repeat. That's right. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> that's that's how it happens. Yeah, because sometimes you get some real gems, and it's just like a muscle. If you exercise, it'll get bigger and stronger. Yeah, you're probably right. So you know, I just I entreat you to because I want to hear the music that comes out. I, you and I will probably be spending a little bit more time together because there are things that I'm still trying to transcribe since our cousin is uh, no longer capable. I'm going to re- refashion the uh, website and convert some of this uh, music to uh, digital format so that people can download it rather than have me mail it to them. But some of those songs will turn into written pieces that eventually somebody, like including myself and my son, is going to sing. Good. Good, good to hear that. I was like, I've been running through my mind for years. Is we've got to get the, we got to get the Hannah Cubed session going on. <laughs> you, me, and Michael. <laughs> uh, we've got we've got a couple of dimensions on this. Thing. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so it's Hannah Cube plus Wells and Chambourget. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I just think that would be pretty awesome. But um, trying to get everybody in the same place at the same time, especially now with COVID, is much more difficult. But we can do it through the magic of digital studios. Oh, yeah. If we plan it out properly. So that's it's I'm just throwing that into everybody's mind so that when we get to that point, we can do it. You know what? We all have to. I'm I'm on my way down that road. I I, I did a, a concert with uh, TD uh, Bank here in Ottawa. We did the TD Jazz Festival. And at the time, Michael, my son, was here in Ottawa. So I went and bought a digital interface and spent some time on GarageBand. And he's already pretty versed in GarageBand. And we crafted a song that we sang at the TD Jazz Festival. I got to see that, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. So I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can do this. Man, you're, you're, yeah, we can do this. And we should do this. So, okay, good. So that's good. I've got two of you on board now to get the other two. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And Kyle, too. Kyle, what we probably wind up doing is we, we collect the uh, musical collaborations from all of the musicians and then give him an opportunity to do some mixing. And for those of you who don't know, Kyle Hall is my nephew and um, a world-renowned DJ who does amazing work. Wild Oats is the name of his label. So hopefully we'll get him on the show too at some time soon. So this is, is a tremendous idea. I think if we're doing more traditional stuff and then we throw in some hip hop and some I don't even know what the names of the different genres of DJ stuff is because there's a whole background in that that I just don't know the history of. And I'm going to ask Kyle about that when I have him on the show. Yeah. Because he, he'll talk, he could talk at length about all the different genres that have passed through it and the different styles. And there's so many that it's so deep. I just don't, I know what I grew up with. Right. It's like house, but there's so much beyond house. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes, there is. <clears throat> techno and all of that kind of thing. And Detroit is Detroit is a progenitor for techno. It's in and of itself. Yeah. It so. is. It is. But yeah, we're on the same page there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm still walking down the road. I, I'm not going anywhere. My the, the, the Lord has given me enough energy and strength to keep on going. So I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's I'm, right. I keep on going. <laughs> keep on going. Keep doing it. Make art, make art. Yes. That's the bugle cry. Make art. I like that. <laughs> I know that might be the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that sounds like a t-shirt. That sounds like a t-shirt. So many in so many different ways art is is being challenged as a valuable resource or commodity or element of society. We keep pushing it away because we cannot we don't try to monetize its value uh, in our society when, in fact, our society would be like rocks without art. Mm-hmm. We'd just be a collection of, of people walking around for the purposes of moving rocks. So, no, art gives it meaning. It's, it's, and we find artistic as humans, we find artistic elements even in the 
quote-unquote non-artistic elements of our existence. So, of course, the artist is—it's not the tool. It's—it's it's not the tool. It's the artist using different tools. Yeah. And the older I get, the more that I go into different tools. Because at some point, I might not be able to play the violin anymore, yeah. just because of arthritis and right. whatever else. At some point, my voice won't be able to do the singing that I want to do. Right. But I can still do other things, and I'm just expanding the tools that I use. And I I went to, in 2017, I got a chance to go to the California Brazil camp and it's all Brazilian music. And I met several Brazilian artists that came in to teach and to participate in just creating music. And a lot of the folks from Brazil play 10 different instruments. It's just not even the concept of, I'm just going to play this one thing like we have here. There they play, just pick up everything and just play it. And they just work at it and play it all. And this one guy, he's an amazing guitarist. He's a songwriter. He's a drummer. He was a uh, he could play the piano. He could play the mandolin. He could play the the drum, the little percussion instruments. I can't think of all the different names of all the different percussions that they have in Brazil, but there's tons of them. And he was playing all of those, like it was nothing. Wow. And that we have the same thing here in country music. A lot of the time, a lot of folks play a lot of different instruments. Yeah. And I don't know why in because of the Western classical tradition, you play one instrument, you play that well, mm-hmm. as opposed to just playing everything and then just being the artistic influence that goes through those tools. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's OK. I'm older now. It's going to be harder for me to do that. But I am doing it because it opens up the way you look at the world. I agree. I agree. No, that's, that sounded like a, an amazing time getting it to people with that kind of talent. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then they, they look at you and they say, uh, I took my mandolin that it, that year and handed it to, um, his name is Alex, Alexandro Pinezzi. If you have a chance, Alexandro, Alessandro Pinezzi. If you have a chance to look him up, he is an amazing guitarist. Like, fantastic, really sweet guy. And I gave him my mandolin, and he just started playing the hell out of it. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, wow. And he said, yeah, I don't play mandolin. The only time I get to play it is maybe if I come to this camp. Okay. So he hadn't touched one in a year. <laughs> and he was just like, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and it's completely different than playing a guitar. It's the same setup as a violin. That's crazy. So uh, it amazed me. Started rolling on it, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah, there. We'll find that if we leave the uh, confines of our own environs, um, people do some pretty amazing things Mm -hmm. outside of what we think they should be able to do. (laughs) They just do. It's like the bumblebee. Bumblebee doesn't even know it can fly. Yeah. This is just how we. This is how we do it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. With your children when they were growing up, uh-huh. how did you present the arts to them? Ooh, unconsciously, art. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I I can't say I presented art to them unconsciously. My wife who is an in, 
incredibly thoughtful individual was very conscious about presentation in that she had a love for things like museums and art shows and things like that and thought it not robbery to make sure the kids got to go to those places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, we spent time and <clears throat> outings were museums and art shows. And so the kids got exposure like that. And we traveled as a family. We were pretty much a very close-knit family. And we'd go places and art was a part of what we went to see. Mm-hmm. Or do, or be a part of. Yeah, it was a part of life. That's why I say it was unintentional for me. But my wife made us sure that we would include it in a part of raising our family. Uh, And they all appreciate a variety of different, and and are very, very critical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They are very, they are critical. They they recognize people who are playing at something and playing with something, right? Um, And will let you know when they think that somebody's playing at it. (laughs) 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 So, uh, yeah, but they, they have a strong appreciation for a variety of different Most of my kids, if not all of them, are pretty left-brained, even though my oldest daughter is a, uh, she's a finance major, but she loves marketing and she's a fashionista. Mm -hmm. So she she loves that part of marketing and finance, making things look a certain way. And uh, yeah. My son, as he's a musician, my youngest son is is an is also in finance, but has a real passion for kids and sports. Mm. So it's deep in him. He fights it, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it comes out every now and then. So yeah, and then my youngest daughter. Yeah, she's she's a, she's a radio person. She could be doing exactly she, if she f- could find a, a resource associated with, it, she would be doing this exact same thing. Okay. Yeah, Adis Adis loves being in front of the and talking about things, and she's she likes to get emotionally engaged in conversation. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have a conversation, and hopefully, she'll put up a podcast too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She started down the road to one, but life happens. Sure. So now that now you've got speaking of life happening, you've got grandchildren. So what do you want to impart to them about the arts? To make it a part of their lives. I don't I think because of who we are, meaning the family, mm-hmm. the arts will be a part of who we are. Natalie will make sure that Simone and Miles, matter of fact, Miles Pembroke was named after his his grandfather, Mm -hmm. great-grandfather, excuse me. And so that piece of it, he will always have to inquire about. 
and she'll have information for him. It's a little tougher when the kids are away, apart from you. Mm-hmm. you know, you've got to rely on the parents to do that. But whenever they're exposed to us, they'll that conversation will be had. The things that we do will engage them. Deuce and Jackson or William II and Jackson are in Florida, both of whom are, uh, they have, they have you, you can see it and hear it in their behavior, but I really don't know how they're getting exposed to the arts. That's where your, I guess, your company is, your LLC, Deacon Blue. That's where that comes into the mix because you can create things that can be passed down, trust, Hannah trust, so to speak, of your father's music, your mother's music, your music, and all those compositions, if they start to be produced and you have that whole book to pass down to them. Yep. Well, that's, that is part of my work. My work is to try and preserve the legacy mm-hmm. in the best way I can. We've gone in the direction of trying to find an, an archive. And we got close <clears throat> with, the, with the Lionel Hampton School of Music in Spokane, Washington, or in Moscow, Washington, University of Washington. But that fell apart some years ago, and so we're, we're pursuing it again. But, I guess it would be interesting to see if any any young ensembles that are already out there might want to just do a few pieces here and there, and you guys start doing compilations. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, a uh, a um, young pianist here, name is Clayton Connell, sat down with me when we were doing this is pre-COVID, and suggested. That very thing, he said, would be kind of cool to host an NAC, National Arts Center uh, of Ottawa, program of of Roland's music and, and identify several musicians to perform his work mm-hmm. and, and make it a performance. There's also an art organization called the uh, New York Philomusica, which you're probably familiar with. Ramona may have mentioned a couple of times uh, in the past. And there's a guy by the name of Don, um, um, Johnson. And Johnson was a progenitor for the Philomusica, which was a chamber group. And that chamber group performed, commissioned and performed some of Roland's work. So it's right for that kind of stuff. You know, I bet there was even just quartets that would just do even if you say, here's 10 pieces for this quartet, would you do them? Even if it's just like their production of it, they go and work it and they, then you produce it, which is probably not as expensive as you think. Just to start getting all that stuff recorded, because there's a lot of stuff that just wasn't ever recorded. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we get the entire family to invest in it. So maybe... And we can do a GoFundMe and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Have it be an ongoing project because there's, he's written so much music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm discovering more and more every day. Some of which has not been, I have to work on the whole copyright too, because I've opened boxes that are like, okay, this isn't in the catalog. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. You're you're right. It, it's a uh, there's a lot there. 
You know, yeah. there, there probably will be some discoveries long after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it's actually pretty exciting though, because it's like a treasure trove. Because then you don't have, instead of like writing your own music, you can just write that stuff. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so I don't know. As things bother you, like that, those earworms come in, and you don't know what to do with them. You say, "Ah, oh, let's put this aside." Here's a piece Roland did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just start start working on doing something with them. Right. No, then, is there anything in music that you haven't done that you really want to do before it's all over? Uh, you know, I keep, uh, I have a lament. I do have a, a, a slight lament. And whether or not I'll be content with it before my day is done is questionable. I don't know. But I do... I do want to play an instrument. Mm. I, I wrestle with that process because I'm older now and stuff doesn't come as easy as it, <laughs> as it used to. Right. You know, but no, I, I do. I would love to be able to perform something with an instrument, be it guitar, cello, piano, harmonica. At one point in time, I told myself, and it wasn't really a bucket list item, but I had it, told myself, okay, I'm going to give myself a year, pick up something I've played before and start working on it and plan to perform that piece, that work, at a particular time, so give myself a goal, mm-hmm. uh, so that I can play it and and or sing it, uh, sing along with it. So that, that's something that I yeah, it constantly comes back to me when I believe content. Then that hey, but have you thought about the fact that you haven't played an instrument? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of. That's where I go. And so, I, like I said, I, I will do that before my day is done. And that's my desire. All right. Let's hope that that happens sooner than later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I, I just don't want to, I don't want to pass up those things as the abilities start to change. Spend the time doing the things. I start, once probably in my 50s, I picked up the uh, guitar. So I'm like, wait, the guitar can't be that hard. And I started playing the guitar and playing around with it and realized I didn't have one, but at the time I had access to one. Mm-hmm. And then I started making excuses. Ah. Oh, yeah, yeah, hurt your fingers. It's, it doesn't have, it's got, uh, it's got steel cords instead of, uh, steel strings instead of, not on strings, so they're harder to play. And you make stupid excuses, and so you mm-hmm. and you go off and put it down and do what you normally done. I'm through making excuses. Good, <laughs> good. I'm looking forward to to seeing that recital. Yeah, it might be a digital version, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I'm I'm cool with that. I I ran across a lady who was 85 mm. and made her made her first album, something she wanted to do all her life. 
Oh, fantastic. And a uh, beautiful singer. She was a wonderful singer, 85 years old. She made the CD and uh, then went on home to be with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, so hey, that's you know that's my hope. I hope I, I'm going. I'm going to try and do that. Uh, I want to see it before you get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hoping so too. I'm hoping so too. Yeah, yeah, that that would be better. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> you'll be able to enjoy it at least. Um, you know, just want to be able to sit back. And say, yeah, yeah, I did that. I had that conversation. You know, it's like it was like the album. You know, it went rolling because that album literally was in the process for 10 years. Mm. We started it in 1989 and finished it in 1998. Wow. And uh, for a variety of different reasons, which we could talk about in a whole other podcast. <laughs> Actually, I want, I was going to ask you about that. The purpose of this podcast is to expose artists that people may not have heard of to the bigger world to also just to expose the way that artists think and how we approach problems and how we move forward and create art. So what would be those things that stop you? What would be those things that like, cause I know you've had as a person, you've had these things that may have stopped you for a moment, but then you kept going and you work through them. And what are the, some of those things that you've done to stop the roadblocks? Oh, there's a saying in my profession as an engineering. Some Every now and then it's time to shoot the engineer and start production. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the, the engineer, it is not unlike the musician because the musician or the technocrat, if you will, spends time <clears throat> refining and trying to find the absolute best. And, and as they do that process iteratively, it consumes time and deprives others from being exposed to your creative energy. Mm -hmm. After a certain particular time, there's a period when you're only satisfying yourself. You're not satisfying the mission. And you have to satisfy the mission, and the mission is to get stuff out there, some stuff out there so that can, people can hear and appreciate what it is you're thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, hence, shoot the engineer, start production. You start, my, my father started the idea, yeah, we need to do a CD. He gave it to my mother, who is the engineer also in crafting, and she started crafting the idea. But it was in the iterations of putting the songs together and aligning the songs and putting the album together and piecing it, all of that got lost. In addition to the fact that I went away and started raising a family and we just, life happened. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around the, I think it was around the time that we moved to Delaware, 
which was in 1997, we moved closer from Detroit to my parents. And my father said, bomb the dikes, full speed ahead. It's time to get this done. We've been farting around with this thing for so long. You're close. I'm close. We're going to get this done. He took the reins and we made it happen. And at that point in time, he pushed my mother with some decisions. He made some executive decisions about what we are going to do and what we're not going to spend time worrying about. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, in 98, a year later, project was born. So life did get in the way, time, distance, money, emotions, family, all that kind of stuff got in the way, but the project, it was a desire. I, I would also say that Roland around 97, 98, probably had a call on his life because he, he had cancer and he contracted cancer and went in the hospital the year that the album was released, 98. Licked it, beat it, and spent time doing that. And as soon as he finished up with his treatments and so forth, he got back busy just doing rolling. Mm -hmm. The project was done. So I guess what I'm saying is that because he had a call in his life, he, you know, there were things he wanted to finish. And one of them was, was a musical project with his son. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to get to that place. <laughs> just like we're, we're talking about uh, with the music, with the instrument, where life all of a sudden say, okay, you ain't got but so long here. We're five-minute call. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get to that point, but sometimes that's what happens. You get a, you get a five-minute call and like, okay, all right, I'm re I'll be ready in a minute. <laughs> I think the world got that call. COVID happened. I think that has definitely been that. I know in, in a lot of ways that's been that for me. And also prior to that in 2017, like I think I lost my dad, I lost my grandma, I lost a bunch of people in the family die in 2017, 2018, 2019. And so that was a call for me. To, you don't only have so much time left. You need to do all these things that have been on your list for a really long time. So I think uh, part of it too is just you just have to make that decision that this stuff is priority because I'm here to do art. So do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even if it's not perfect. Yeah. Too bad. Exactly. It's out there. Exactly. And that's the thing you got, we will constantly tweak at it, but we eventually are only doing that for our own satisfaction and not for the satisfaction of others. We have to get to a point where, yeah, we decide, okay, this is good. This is good. Uh, the next one might be even a little bit better, but this one's good enough. You know, right. You know, we, we're gonna, you, you get some ideas from what I'm thinking with this. Mm -hmm. you know, make it happen. So you're right. You're right. You just have to do that. And try not to subject yourself to the abject poverty in the process. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's the given one. Uh, you still got to eat. That's right. <laughs> but, hey, there's no, there's nothing wrong with having a day job, and and after that, you know that one's paying the bills, and then 
work on your other one yeah. so that it will pay bills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that because I think a lot of musicians have had to do that. Oh, a yeah. lot of painters and sculptors and writers and have had to do that. It also gives you a baseline of how to structure your time. Yes. Uh, which I think is really important. If you don't have that, a schedule of some sort, then you have no push to continue and finish a project. That's for sure. That is and for sure. Too, too much freedom, too many choices. Yeah, makes it difficult to produce anything. You have to set some goals. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on Tia Time today. Is there any um, place that we can find you online? I do have I do have a Facebook presence. My Facebook presence for music is Michael Curtis Hanna. I have an Instagram page, Deacon Blue. Currently, I, I steer clear from Twitter, but I and then every now and then you'll see things that show up on uh, YouTube. My my wife is pastors a church here in Ottawa, and oftentimes at Fourth Avenue Baptist Church I'm singing, so I'll sing for services. I I do conduct business with Deacon Blue LLC and doing business as a uh, Rahana Music. Inc., which is the uh, publishing company for Sir Rowland's music. So those are, those are my current exposures. There are there will be other things. Please look up the Marvelville album. It's being promoted by again a guy by the name of Pete Forret Project. Forret spelled as F O R E T, uh, and he goes by the Pete Forret Project. And yeah, we're that album is out there. It is out now. It's currently available, and you can order it. You can order the CD. It's what they call <coughs> adult listening. Old school listeners, people who still buy CDs. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show today. And thank you for your heart, your energy, and your time, and your your willingness to talk about all things Hannah. So... <laughs> thank you for being on Tia Time. You're welcome. And good to talk to you. I can I am listening to you and can't believe how much you sound like your cousin, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. I'm like, golly, it's just this stuff gets flown between genes. It's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, it's been great. It's been great. I'm glad to have the uh, opportunity. I'm glad we had the time. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website, tiaviolin.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate your comments and will mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Lines of Michigan or JAM. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed in the show or start new ones with like-minded people, join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time.
Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artists. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.